Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, Does my hair look okay? It's my name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Cody, how are you? Did you just crack yourself a beer? Good, how are you? Nice to meet you. No, I did not just crack myself a beer. I outgrew it beer years like ago. I outgrew beer years ago. No, it's just a, a soft drink. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I haven't yet, obviously, so I have a beer in my hand. Oh. Cody is in a hotel room who typically has uh, an agave drink with him. You're not drinking anything but water or not drinking even water, Cody? I had a, I had a couple of old fashions uh, at a bar before we came back to the hotel. My wife and I are getting ready to fly to Key West, Florida to try again to catch a tarpon on a fly rod because it is, uh, I was unsuccessful the last time I tried. So I'm going to try again. Jen, you're in Florida. That's not, I am. I am. That sounds like fantastic um, adventure. Um, not necessarily the fishing part for me, but I do like to lay on the boat. So I would definitely go for that in the Keys for sure. Yep. Yeah, Cody likes to do the same thing. Avery's the fisherman of the family. Cody's the boat liar. <laughs> she does Great. consistently outfish me. There's no doubt she consistently outfishes me. 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, Jen Chatfield, uh, thank you for joining us on the Roundup, uh, the podcast in which we just talk about general things that are happening in the world of of hunting and environmental conservation and all sorts of things. And um, you are definitely the first um, non-hunter oh. that we've had on the Roundup. <gasps> oh. Did you know she was a non-hunter, Cody? I did yesterday. You told me that yesterday. Nothing like preparation. Nothing like preparation for your guest, Cody. Right, right. Well, <laughs> nothing like me sending you. Did you get the email with the topics this morning that I sent you? Because I forgot to send it yesterday. I did not get any email with an article about Tajikistan or snow leopards at all. None. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Tajikistan. Cody was on the ball. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting to find more. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a... Uh, slow news cycle in the hunting and conservation really or well it was let's be honest come on it was until uh you pissed off the world today yeah so jen i pissed off the world in the last week how Um, so blood origins right now is how many articles are we in right now cody eight nine what? Yeah, to include the Daily Mail, Guardian, Newsweek. Um, Those are legit yeah. publications, Robbie, guys. Robbie went ahead and stepped in a in a no. It, it, we didn't we didn't do anything. We posted we didn't an do anything about, about a. We stepped in it, but we stepped, yeah, we in, stepped it by, in it by doing the right thing. Yeah. Well. So what? What the the whole controversy is that there was a big elephant killed uh-huh. in Botswana last Wednesday. Okay. And. Um, we put out a post that just gave some some information around the elephant okay. uh, that caused a little bit of controversy. And that controversy then uh, got into the news media. We didn't cause the controversy. The elephant hunt obviously caused the controversy. And we just happened to be the, the venue, the vehicle that had put out some information around the hunt. Okay. And then we podcasted with the professional hunter uh-huh. that undertook the hunt. Yeah, to get the facts from him and the reality on the ground of the situation in the communities and the places that he hunted this elephant in. So it was, news- and then tomorrow it was newsworthy that you spoke directly to the source to get the facts from the ground. That was newsworthy. Well, it was. It wasn't. No, no that wasn't newsworthy. <laughs> What's newsworthy is that there was a big elephant killed. Ah, um, so something that was alive is now dead. News flash. What was newsworthy on our end of it? Here, I'll 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 step Say into it. it a little bit. Yeah, was we were the we were the only ones that I can find, and it's kind of my job to find. We were the only ones who came out with any information about this and talked about the positives. I don't want to say that we you know we weren't. Not that we were necessarily even a pro-hunting organization. We are, but I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that's relevant here. We talked about the positive aspects of the process, the legalities, the conservation, the community involvement of this elephant hunt. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I shouldn't say it like that. We were the first ones to the punch. So The Guardian, The Daily Mail, Newsweek Mm -hmm. used used us as a, as an example, some of them to their credit, reaching out to us and asking for more information and comment. Um, I will say across the board, 
some of the uh, most journalistic journalism I've seen in the, in the articles that I've read. They're just kind of like, here's what happened. Here's what the people against it said. Here's what Blood Origins said, that most of the articles just went down that path and weren't uh, as biased as sometimes articles can be. I'll, I'll stop there before I get us all, get me in trouble. Okay. Um, but but yeah, I, I think that's... Like what was the fluff about this one elephant? What made this elephant so special? Or this hunt, I guess. Because he wasn't, because he was a big tusker. Oh, okay. He had one tusk that was over 100 pounds. Okay which makes him essentially iconic um, in that he is a rare elephant. Sure. Uh, elephants that get over 100-pound tusks are rare. Yep. Like You don't see very many yep. of them. Um, you get a lot of 80-pounders. Yep. You get a lot of 90-pounders. Um, but a 100-pound elephant, and here's you know a couple of misstated yeah. facts or misstated information. Let me say misstated information. There's only one of the tusks was over 100 pounds. The other one was under 100. So they both weren't okay. over 100. Um, and, um, but that was the controversy is that there is, it, it was this rare animal. And even though the hunt is legal, mm -hmm. the hunt happened in an elephant management block, according to the elephant management plan of the country. Okay. The fact that it was when they came up to the animal, a very old animal, probably 49, 50, maybe, you know, nobody can really give yeah. an age, but it's probably based on the data that we can see either right at 50 or 50 to 55. So no longer, no longer contributing. The, He's well represented in the population, one would think. Uh, I would say that he was he was in must, as I understand it, which is a reproductive uh, cycle in male, in male right. elephants. Um, so he could breed. Uh, the question is, would he? Successfully. Uh, if given the opportunity. Mm -hmm. If given the opportunity, I think he would. But he is obviously going to be coming up against much younger bull elephants that are heavier, yeah. have shorter, stabbier tusks. And the longer tusk that he has is really a disadvantage in the right. fight against those younger bulls. Right. So I've, I'm not saying that he probably was a magnificent elephant um, when he was 35 to 45 and breeding and putting his genes into the population with some pretty amazing 60-pound tusks. Mm -hmm. um, and as he got from, you know, 43 up to his age of about 52 or whatever mm -hmm. it was, 49, whatever it was, that um, his, his, his tusks grew out and he aged out and he got kicked out of the herd because there was a much stronger, younger bull that wanted breeding rights. I mean, that, that such is the nature of elephants, right? I mean, that's what happens. Yeah, it's, so it's, there's a lot of conjecture here, right? Because I'm painting a scenario in which I have try to get, gain the information based on the information that I know about the elephants. And a lot of people are in the other side of the boat with their own information saying the same thing. So, Right. In, in, in my opinion, the answer to your question, Jen, is, is he was recognizable. Well, sure. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's, the, that's the, I don't know if someone had given him a, a name. you know, a Cecil the Lion type right. name, um, but he was, because of his tusks, because of his age, he was recognizable. So that could have been recognizable. We have yet to see. That's the biggest piece here is that the where he mm -hmm. was hunted, the, the block that he was hunted in is right next to a non consumptive utilization. And block, there's the rub. I.e., no hunting. There's the, block. the rub, right? 
Mm-hmm. And it has an ecotourism operation in it, citizen-run ecotourism operation on the Kwando. It's about 40 kilometers from where this elephant lived kind of deal. Mm-hmm. That's not a big distance from an elephant's perspective in terms of movement. Sure. Um, another de- another study out of Kenya shows that elephants in must at that age bracket are moving 60, 70, 80 kilometers in their must cycle, though their core must area is about a 20 to 30 kilometer radius. Right. Um, so he could have absolutely been moving back and forth in and out. For those of us that aren't veterinarians or scientists, must is similar to rut? Correct. Okay. Correct. I I don't know that I have ever... So an elephant male will come in must. M-U-S-T-H. And it makes them like... I consider They have behavioral changes... Radical hormonal changes. They'll have secretions. It's it's just really a lovely condition for the elephant bull. Is that is that uh, is I've like ne- I don't consider myself an ignorant person about these things. But I don't think I've ever he- heard. Is that an elephant specific thing, or would you use that word? Doc- it's an elephant thing. Just an elephant. Yeah. They're the only ones that get a muster around. Right. Right. Well, well, let's let's give some some credentials here. Jen Chatfield, please introduce yourself and yeah. explain uh, who you are. So, my name is Jennifer Chatfield. Um, on the internet, I am known as Dr. Jen the Vet, uh, and I have um, I think I, I qualified it before on the podcast. Uh, kind of a well, that podcast would not have okay. dropped yet. So, well then, so this is the first introduction to the audience to okay, Dr. Okay, so Jen. well, hey, it's so nice to. Um, be on this show. Uh, and um, I have an odd intersection of specialties. So I am uh, board certified, which is um, there's uh, um, some small percentage of veterinarians and um, actually worldwide are board certified in something, right? So we're specialists. Um, one of my board certification, I, then, then I'm double boarded beyond that. So an even smaller number of veterinarians are double boarded and my, um, board certifications are in zoo and wildlife medicine. And there are about, um, 200 or so ish, um, veterinarians were worldwide that are, um, board certified in zoo and wildlife medicine. Um, so we call it the most difficult exam you've never heard of. Uh, and then uh, my other <laughs> boarded specialty is um, what is called uh, preventive medicine, which used to be called the public health. So infectious diseases, toxins, um, biostatistics, that sort of thing. That's me. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, they, um, you know, going back to the topic that there wasn't much in the news cycle up until... 24 hours ago is quite true. Uh, but we'll see what happens. It's probably going to die out in its 24, 48 hours. But we've got some great podcasts coming out about tomorrow. Actually, it would have been last week. Um, the We had another podcast that came out that was the ecotourism side of the equation, which was I wanted to have a conversation with someone who was like, no, this was, to Cody's point, an iconic animal, a rare animal. It needed to stay on the landscape for the chance of someone seeing it and for the chance of it potentially breeding and putting more genes in the population. Yeah. 
Jane, I you did made make a face. a face. Yeah, because so here's so here, I I was like I like ecotourism, right? I love to look at animals. I grew up looking at animals, right? This is uh, this I mean, it's my whole my whole life, my whole career. Um, weird animals, different animals, um, etc. You can't tell me that someone is buying a plane ticket. Now let's let's say ecotourism, right? So I'm American. So like Robbie's already familiar. Like I'm very America centric because that's how we are, right? I try not to be, try to be self aware, but mm-hmm. here I am. Like you can't tell me that you're going to find a substantial number of Americans who are going to say, I'm going to pay x dollars to go on um a safari in africa but if i can see this elephant bull i'm gonna pay 10x to go do that mm-hmm. i just don't see like i just don't That's- see that but if you talk about hunting right mm-hmm. like this guy was killed by a hunter then i think you will find hunters and this is just conjecture because again i'm not a hunter but who will say I'm? I would like to go shoot blank, and I'm going to pay. I'm willing to pay X. Oh my stars! But if I get a chance to take one that size, I'll pay twenty X. Mm. Right? No, but that's a very good point that you're making, Jen. And that's one of the things that has come up through these massive dialogues and discussions is that is not in place in Botswana. Yeah. I.e., if you did come across mm-hmm. that elephant and it was a big mm-hmm. tusker, that government has something in place to say, if you want to take it, you can, but it's going to cost you an extra $30,000 You got to pay f- or $40,000 or $50,000. Pay for the privilege, right? Because it is a privilege. Pay for the, pay for the value. That was, that's one argument that's come mm-hmm. up. But to your point, Jen, the number, if, if you assign X to the ecotourist, the data shows that the hunting side of it is about 71X per, in, per individual. Right. That, that, that the money put into the economy. Now, we're no, fans. No, no, no. At a regional level, at a regional level, there's, there's studies out there that have shown that ecotourism from a GDP mm-hmm. level and a countrywide Brings in equal amounts right. of money. Okay. No, I'm talking about one individual ecotourist to one. You you got to take 71 ecotourists is the number that I've read. In yeah, it's out of Namibia. Yeah, yeah. To that it's that's the closest mm-hmm. realm. Now that doesn't mean we're 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 100 in favor of ecotourism. Um, but the fact of the matter is, there's a there's a lot of places that ecotourists aren't willing to go either, or, or ecotourist operators aren't willing to set up. This particular Botswana elephant example is not particularly right. one of them because there is one, there is one 40 kilometers right. from where this elephant was taken. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it, 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 it's an, I don't like the, because it's this elephant argument, I think is so weak. If, if, if a person is opposed to elephant right. hunting, then, you know, I, I don't really then be opposed to it. I, I try to, present, I try to present facts that, that it can be beneficial, but I don't, you know, you have every right to be opposed to someone shooting an elephant, uh-huh. but when you get fired up on your high horse because of this one, right. that's, the, that's the time, um, you can go to our Facebook right now and there's people making comments that say, 
I can understand if you shoot younger bulls or females. There's a comment on our Facebook that that says that yeah. right now. But why would you shoot this old right. guy? Right. That's just that's just uh, you know as as kind of naive as an argument as the Cecil the Lion thing was. Um, and again, you know, I'm not saying it, if you're against lion hunting, that's a totally different thing than being just against suit, shooting a lion whose name is Cecil, which is silly. And it's crazy how it takes these named or iconic or recognizable individuals for people to man their keyboards and start flailing away. Jen, to your point, though, there are elephants. Mm -hmm. And I, the guy told me the names. Yeah. I can't remember the names now that are iconic, that people, I don't know if they'll pay 10x to see, but they certainly will go to these places uh -huh. specifically for the opportunity to see this big tusker. Um, there's one in Amboseli in Kenya. There's actually a group of them, group of big tuskers. I think his name's Bruce or Dennis or something. Yeah. I don't know. And then there's another one in Mana Pools in Zim that they found. Um, and I asked the person, I said, so, you know, those iconic elephants are well-known because – um but what what so and i don't i'm in i'm sorry i'm interrupting you but no no go ahead but so, so but i guess you're the but guest. i guess my point is this right so <clears throat> well known is is a relative term right so um so you're talking about something that's well known and i mean i'm not i'm poking a little bit of fun but you can't remember his name right like you can't okay um well, I can't because I'm not in that industry, right? I'm not. But, I don't remember his name because there's a lot of. But there's a lot of science. There's a lot of. Um, they've got GPS collars on them. They know where they go. The tourists know them. The tourists want to see them. The tourists call them. But by did name. the tourists go there specifically because they heard of that one? And and wait, so follow my um, my allegory here, like my my similar to right. So, for example, uh, when I was growing up. Uh, one of the places, and like I'm going to throw in another like uh, charismatic species and everyone's head will explode, right? I'm not trying to eat this one, okay? <laughs> I'm not trying to eat this. But um, when I was growing up, uh, everyone wanted to go to see Shamu, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, even mm -hmm. outside America, I'm pretty sure y'all heard of Shamu, right? That to me would be, that is an iconic individual creature right mm -hmm. because you know him you know him by name you know exactly what he is etc mm -hmm. you will go mm -hmm. just to see mm -hmm. shamu because if you went to see the mm. orca show at sea world but it didn't have shamu in it well you didn't really see you didn't see shamu you saw mm -hmm. some orcas mm -hmm. that level of sort of um, value add advertising as far as the draw for an individual animal, like a big tusker with a name, like that, that I don't, I don't see that. I don't for people because it, in order to be a draw, it has to be known to people outside that industry, right? Otherwise, you're just talking to your own people. So it would have to be known by people who who don't even go do that, you know. Um, and mm -hmm. I mean, I just you just don't see that happening. I think maybe it boils down to individual operators. Mm -hmm. Like if Robbie Robbie's ecotourism outfit can't promise you that you're going to see Bruce the elephant, yeah. 
but Cody's ecotourism operation can. That's a complete assumption on my part, but I agree with you. I don't know. I know of a lot of people that would like to go um, on a, on an ecotourism safari of Africa. That's a, that's a cool thing. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I don't think any of those people, the only named animal they could name out of Africa is Cecil the lion. They don't know about this specific elephant. Now, when they do the research, maybe, um, mm. I, I just, I don't know. You know, the Shamu example is a phenomenal example because what did SeaWorld do? They just started naming every, you know, they had Shamu Jr., Shamu, the th- they just started naming everyone Shamu. Hey, if you've branded so, it well, you- why change it? <laughs> Right. And they, they yeah. did, they did yeah. phenomenally. And, you know, yeah, I don't, I, I don't have a lot of, I try very hard, not nearly as good at it as Robbie is to stay civil on the social media discussions, but I, I, I do have less patience for these uh, warriors that jump in when there's this one right. individual completely legal uh-huh. government sanctioned uh-huh. ethical harvest but it happened to be this one element. Right. I don't. I don't have a lot of. Uh, I don't have a lot of uh, respect for that stance. If and if, if I, I'll, I'll respect your stance if you think it's mean to kill an elephant. That's a. That's an sure. opinion that I can not uh, sure. get frustrated with. But not. Oh my goodness, we got to save element. this one. And that's what I think is interesting too, because. Uh, a, a lot of folks will come out of the woodwork and say this and say, oh, my God, they shouldn't have killed that one. OK, so which one should they have killed? Oh, well, the answer from you is zero. Then you're not you're not you're, you're not even expressing the correct position that you want to take. Right. Like because mm-hmm. if you if you're thinking that you should never kill any of them then taking a position that they shouldn't have killed this one. Well, that's to me, that's neither interesting nor exciting because. It wouldn't matter. You could insert whatever elephant you wanted. You don't think they should have killed it, right? So why are you in this argument, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Well, we certainly like, you know, the dialogue that has come from it and the discussion that's come from it, and we've had some really good ones. Um, we want to continue to have it, and we want to continue to have really good dialogue and really good discussions with people from across different walks of life, different opinions, different thought processes, uh, because that's one way for us to us to be better and think better. And, you know, as you say, is there is there something that needs to be put in place for the big boys to incentivize it more? Or here's something else that I heard, Cody, I don't know if I told you this or not, but because of this animal being taken, And because nobody knew that there was such a big tusker in Botswana, now there is potential hope that there is another. Okay? There could be another. There could be. They didn't know about this one. Okay? So, the... So the, the news articles are saying that this guy charged $50,000. He paid $50,000 for the the elephant. Wow. Uh, The truth of the matter... No, no. The truth of the matter is, was it was a lot had more. Had to be because, yeah, because the base tag price for an elephant in Botswana that is not auctioned this year is twenty in twenty twenty two is fifty thousand dollars. Oh, so they're just okay, making a that presumption, goes to right? The community trust. Yeah, there's fifty thousand dollars for the tag. It's seven thousand dollars for the license that goes into the actual the state mm-hmm. government. Fifty thousand dollars goes to uh, the community trust. Mm-hmm. 
Last year, I believe it was $30,000. I could get these numbers mixed up, but they could be, I think it's a mixture of the two. But here's the thing that could happen. Because there's this chance of killing a big elephant now, another mm-hmm. big elephant, government next year could say tags are $80,000 exactly. now. $60,000 now. And now all of a sudden you've got 400 tags times an additional $30,000. Mm-hmm. Quick math, it's about $8 million. And bucks. you know what else happens right now? The, if, if, that, if anyone is listening or if any, any entrepreneurial folks in Botswana are there, you know what they're doing? You know what I would be doing if I had any land and any elephants on it? You know what I would be doing? I would be staking it out and protecting the crap out of those elephants so they could get bigger, right? Instantly, I now have a new asset, right? And so I would be wanting to make sure that those elephants got bigger because they're worth more money. It's definitely a benefit. Uh, 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 adding more, the more benefit you add to the elephant, the better it is for the elephant population. No, it's just like, the white tailed deer industry in the United States is in the billions of dollars. Right. Um, we have white tailed deer everywhere. Um, and that's uh, that, that prospect has been proven mm-hmm. over and over and over again, that the only way you keep them in, and there's, I've never laid blame on if I'm a, if I'm a unwealthy small time farmer in Botswana, the elephant is my arch enemy right. in, in in survival. Um, and if there's not going to be, you know, if there's not going to be a legal method of giving some value to keep them alive, then all of a sudden poaching and an and illegal method of making revenue off right. them, it becomes it becomes a no brainer for these folks. It doesn't make them bad no. people. It becomes their only option. Right. Um, and yeah, it it. Uh, we pound our heads on the wall a lot. And then I talked Robbie into letting me pound my head on the wall today again. And, and if you want to talk you out of it, I know he, did. He, he told me to not worry about it, but I think it's, I think it's our, I think it's what we're supposed to do is try. And it's a futile effort sometimes, but if, if anyone's listening and wants to go to our Facebook page and scroll down to the post about the big tuck, big tusk elephant in Botswana, you can see, uh, how truly i mean it, a lot of them go with the same route of uh they'd like to hunt us that's there's a lot of them that would like to hunt us instead of us hunting the elephants and and uh and interesting enough we went anywhere near the hunt yeah. or participating in the hunt or yeah. any of that kind of stuff there's times anyway. i'd like to take like how much trouble would you get up there if i took them up on that be like all right let's let's give it a shot Here's my address. Yeah. It's my first time on the podcast, so I don't think that I'll go down that rabbit trail with you. But yes, it would devolve quickly. Um, but 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 I think but I think that uh you brought up kind of what the North American model, right, of conservation of native species with hunters, right? Like uh so duck stamps and duck hunters, you know, saved the native ducks, um uh the white tail deer hunting, um, elk and mm-hmm. all this sort of thing. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's interesting, but we don't seem to, it's like folks who agree with that, then 
abandon all their principles when we talk about a non-native animal, right? Like, which, like mm-hmm. some people that are that are are probably um, find find themselves just like horrified by this elephant, you know, fluff. Um, probably are like avid white-tailed deer hunters um, because not every hunter is the same, right? And so, sure. Um, I I find it very interesting because if you if you agree that there's value in that deer hunt, right? Because we're gonna you're gonna eat it. Um, you know, you, you, it's a trophy, you're doing it as management, which is why your county issues, you know, this many tags to each person, they pay a tax, I'm sorry, they pay a tag fee, um, and they can go take, take the deer and it's being managed, yada, yada, yada. Then what's the difference if we insert uh, what is a pest species to ag producers in another country, we insert that animal there, and all of a sudden people just lose their minds. Jen, you are a you you are you sure you're not a hunter, right? I'm not a hunter. I do not hunt. I do eat meat, though. I told you that. <laughs> mhm. <laughs> the statement that you just made is one of the biggest conundrums we deal with on a daily basis. Is is that we're and to me it feels like very. Uh, it feels like very it's colonialism and condescending that we get to yes. we get to pick what they do with their animals we get to chastise their methods right. of conservation um which for the most part in i mean in in a very loose round peg in a square hole they're pretty much just trying to do what we did 100 years ago to manage and I mean, it, it's not dissimilar. No, it's just leveraging their um, natural resources. Right, right. And, and providing some value to them so that the people who they are a pest right. to, there's a whole bunch of farmers and ranchers who white-tailed deer are a giant nuisance to. And, and, and the vast majority of them are given that opportunity to recuperate some of that mm-hmm. loss through some form of, you know, a lease mm-hmm. or, or getting paid to give public access in the block management programs. There's it's, we have our system and they have their system right. and somebody's going to say corruption drives me absolutely nuts when Americans or Europeans just assume, I mean, it's like, so you're saying everyone in Africa is corrupt. Like, yes, there's corruption in Africa, we also have a fair bit of it here. I mean, hello, like we, there's we have, corruption little, in America. Hello. <laughs> we have a little bit of all problems too. And that's always their response yeah. to the money doesn't go to the right places and they're misinformed. We've seen a lot of examples of the money going and doing a lot of good for a lot of people in Africa. Yeah. Well, we'll keep on top of it. Um, and uh, it's been good. The dialogue has been good. Jen, um, since you are the guest, we only have really, as as Cody said, it's been a light news cycle. We have two articles that yeah. uh, we have sent to you, um, and we give you the choice of you know you only have a, one or the other today versus four or five to pick oh, from. But okay. which one would you like to start oh. with? Um, you know? Yeah, I, I actually I I liked them both. I um, both uh, represent soapbox issues for me that I think are are interesting, especially for Americans to consider or Westerners actually. So uh, uh, we could start with um, 
let's start with the Markor. Let's start with um, Tajikistan, okay. Markor, and Snow Leopards. And can I share why? Sure. So um, one of the first animals that I ever immobilized or knocked down, right, um, in my career, I wasn't even a veterinarian yet. Oh, don't tell anybody. But um, was a Markor. Um, yeah. Really? And um, what kind? Do you know what kind of Markor? No, it was? because that's how um, generic I am. It was. Uh, we only have Markor. <laughs> like we didn't have different. That was in a zoo, or was it in a high fence operation. Oh, it was what in was a zoo. It? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A very high profile zoo. Well, what's interesting, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love it. Um, well, what's interesting about this article is that it was published in The Guardian. I know. I saw that too. Which is, and we anticipate an article coming out about the elephant hunt coming out of The Guardian. So it'd be interesting to see what tactic they take. Yeah. But The Guardian is typically very leftist. It's very anti-hunting. It's very anti-resource use. And this article, the, the, the title of the article was Why Trophy Hunters in Tajikistan Are Un- Likely saviors of the snow leopard. Yeah. Phenomenal article, but why did they slide the word unlikely in there? Like that's the it, part that those are the things I You know why? I like the article. But why if you remove the word unlikely, is it just less clickbaity? Like why does the word unlikely need to be in that title at all? Because it they just couldn't help themselves. So I love that. You, you like you have to hear the voice, right? Like in the, all through the article, you hear like this incredulity on the part of the author. Right? I don't know the author. I couldn't tell you the author's name right now. But I read this with a bit of a smirk because naturally, I, I mean, I'm aware of what snow leopards eat, right? Um, I understand ecosystems and apex predators. Um, and if you read this article, it's it's it's. It's very well written. I really enjoyed it. A great quote. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I was kind of proud of the Guardian for putting it out there. But I, there's like this air of um, incredulity, and this is such a rare circumstance that these these um, the conspiracy of circumstance to provide an opportunity for hunters to be the saviors of an apex predator. I mean, it's just. Oh, so much. I just put on airs. It's just crazy. You know? Man. Well said. It, it is well written. It is well written. It has great quotes from the people on the ground. Right? They went to the people on the ground. Without trophy hunting, there would be no conservation here, says, uh, I'm not even going to try oh, no. and say, say his name, the father of the guy who founded the reserve. Mm -hmm. Um they say, you know, in Tajikistan, the situation with snow leopards is optimistic because the population is visibly increasing. And the reason the population is visibly increasing is because the villagers have realized that poaching this animal just for meat doesn't bring as much money in as holding them and keeping them for the Americans to come in and shoot them for $200,000. And if you've, if, like, so if listeners, if you guys have never seen a, a Markor, you should, they are just wonderful. I call them fancy goats, but they are wonderful, beautiful, spectacular creatures. Um, really, really, really nice. I like them a lot. Um, and I also like snow leopards quite a lot. 
Yeah, and then you've got the Marco Polo sheep in the same in the same ecosystem being protected yeah. again because people value that sheep to be hunted, and they're willing to put, as you say, they're willing to put ten times the amount of money forward mm-hmm. to shoot this very iconic sheep on the landscape, and because of that, their populations are booming. And here, the okay, and. Uh... What's more is that if if people so snow leopard is of particular interest, right? So there's very few of them. They're like they have this like mystical sort of aura around them, right? Like this Asian cat, and so um, they they come from. I mm-hmm. love in the article how they they call Tajikistan one of the stands. You know, like they they come from these mm-hmm. these places, um, and they just look regal, right? But the captive population of snow leopards, which is equally small, okay? So, you know, you have a, a genetic pool, right? When you talk about breeding and captivity, it's not even, I mean, it's like a puddle. It's like a very, very tiny puddle. There's all these huge problems with snow leopards that are being bred in captivity. So it's not like we have like this incredibly robust insurance policy of captive bred snow leopards in case all of them die out in Tajikistan. We could just throw some more out there and they'll reproduce like cats. This is not the situation. So the fact that mm-hmm. they have what now appears to be to some degree, at least a minimally self-sustaining population of snow leopards provides opportunity for future growth that wouldn't even have been considered possible 10, 15 years ago. Because you mm-hmm. couldn't find one. Because of hunger. Yeah. yeah. What I like about this article very much is that the guy that is pretty much like the 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 other side of the coin, the nature conservation yes. guy, his name is Khalid Karimov, the wildlife biologist and science advisor. Um, you know, at the end of the in the end of the of the of the article, he says, I have many issues with trophy yep. hunting. And I think that's the key, right? A lot of this boils down to the fact that people can't get over the fact that someone's motivation, mm-hmm. same thing with this elephant. Someone's motivation is to go to this place, spend all this money just to take that animal and put its horns on the wall. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that motivation may sicken people. It may be the most abhorrent thing that you can think of. Can't do anything about their motivation. But this article speaks and Kali, this Khalid Karimov guy speaks the same language as you. But he says, I have many issues with trophy hunting, but we don't have the luxury not to do it. And without this level of sustainable trophy hunting, our populations of ungulates and subsequently snow leopards would rapidly decrease. So it's what Cody and I, we talk about all the time. And maybe, Cody, we just need to have like a stock standard response when it comes to this like you know, how dare he go and just grab this trophy? And you say, would you prefer to have someone just go in and take the trophy and know that you've got a sustainable wildlife population now for your kids and your grandkids to see one day? Or he doesn't do it or she doesn't do it and you have no wildlife. Yeah, like, 
I don't want to be Debbie Downer because this is an awesome article and that's why I put it on there. But it's also pisses me off. And it's because it's the Marcor. You and this goes back to the point that I made before. And sometimes this happens, Jen, and Robbie yells at me that I dwell on a point, but it's because if if you couldn't say like it's the, the circumstances are re, this exact circumstance is repeated in thousands of locations all over the mm-hmm. earth that trophy hunting does this good for conservation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right but no but nobody's this, told the stories cody nobody's oh, put our stuff bullshit. out there bullshit our, our entire facebook feed is filled with people calling that story a lie they're not going to call this one a lie because it's saving an animal they like and it's just a damn goat dying. and right a snow and, leopard is fuzzy it's nice and fuzzy. right right they, they like the snow leopard <laughs> somebody even this this uh this uh, conservation officer, the guy you just quoted, right. Robbie, you know, who doesn't like trophy hunting. He's like, hey, no shit. The Marcor hunting's helping the snow leopard. And it's it. they don't care right. that he said that. They care that they like the snow leopard and they don't give a shit about a goat. It's That's true. the biggest dilemma we have to solve in this is treating one species because of their appearance or how many Disney movies they've it's been speciesism. in with favoritism in the approach. It's speciesism, speciesism. Oh my gosh, it Jen. But it is kind of it is. We've got to get we've got to get politically correct about the way we treat the different species of animals. Mm-hmm. Because this story is repeated in in hundreds of countries a thousand times mm-hmm. over. The hunting of this animal did this sustainable, measurable good for conservation of the habitat of other species of that particular species? You know, it, they don't even hype the fact that the hunting is also saving the marcor, right? That's why the snow leopard is thriving is because the hunting of the marcor is making there be more marcor. No, no, like, and but but, but, the, but they're they're even missing it bigger than that, right? So. What they're missing is that the fact that those communities who were 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 um, struggling to subsist, right? Those villages, those those groups of people, that culture in Tajikistan was struggling just to survive until they figured out that they had a diamond there that they could get someone else to pay for, and so then they said, "Hey, stop." Stop just killing willy-nilly to feed your kids. Let's do this in an organized way. Let's manage our wildlife so that we have a sustainable population, so that we can continue to sell the big males to hunters. So they had to morph mm-hmm. their entire culture in order to do that. And that's, a, you, you see that clearly demonstrated with that quote at the end of the article, right? That says, eh, what are you going to do? Right. That's, that's basically the quality <laughs> exactly. guys like, eh, what are you going to do? I got to eat, you know? And if the death of one old Marcor goat, one old man goat can preserve that entire herd on the, on the side of the cliff there, because that, herd and its offspring are supporting these four snow leopards 
that now I can sell eco tours for people to come and see because you can actually find them. Now I'm making money coming and going, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, and by yeah. the way, they they're you they're they're slowing down on the actual poaching of the snow leopards as well because that was just a revenue stream to feed their family, right? And the trophy hunting creates another right. revenue stream. Like I think I think so many people look at these poachers as you need to be mad at the end person buying the thing in a, in the poaching ring because the guy on the ground doing the poaching is just trying to feed his family and he's probably getting screwed in the damn transaction anyway. Should wait wait and but should you what why do why why would we need to be mad? Why would it be obligatory that we're angry at the guy that's the end user in a poaching scenario? Just the fact that they're buying. I'm, I'm talking about in a in a poaching of an. I'm I'm completely against the poaching of endangered species, and okay, that guy who's going on the black market to buy a snow leopard coat, it, it is is a scoundrel in my opinion because he spent huge amounts of money to buy something illegal that then also probably the only person getting punished for it is the poor guy on the ground who was out trying to make a buck with a snow leopard fur. So, um, but is that guy? Is that guy the problem or is he a symptom of the problem at 30,000 feet instead of being the problem at 10,000? Because is the problem the fact that he was compelled into behaving illegally because he did something against the law? Or is it the fact that the policy exists saying that this is illegal? I mean, so like I'm chicken or egg there for me. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying that I support poaching. I'm not saying I support illegal activity. Nothing like that. I'm just asking a policy question. Is that guy a demonstration or a symptom of the problem or is he truly the problem? Because he's a symptom. He's a symptom of the problem. Like bootleggers in prohibition. Right, right. They're they're right. They're they're a symptom of the problem. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't, I don't, so to, okay, I'll, I'll deal with the bootlegger example is I think that was a bad government interference in the world. Do you, do you not think, do you think that snow leopards should be fair game right now for the hunting and fur trading industry? That's the part that like, I, I agree with what you're mm -hmm. saying, except we're here. There's not very many snow it's leopards. A, it's a easy, it's an easy answer for me because it won't impact me because I don't, I, I am not going to go hunt a snow leopard. I mean, I've held snow leopard cubs, right? Like I like them. I like big cats, <laughs> so I'm not going to go hunt them. Um, one reason I like them is because their fur is so striking. Right. Um, and so, so that's not like a fair, super fair question for me, but I, I would answer it with a question and, and I would, ask you, well, how did we get to a situation where we only have that many snow leopards? How'd we get there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Because we got there because we did one of two things, right? Either the things were, were uh, not, not well managed. Okay. M historically, that's almost always the case, right? Because now, now we know better, we do better, right? Secondly, 
most of these really, really endangered species come from places where the people are really poor. They, they, they are looking to feed themselves and their family on a daily basis. And Americans, it has been so long since Americans were hungry that we, it's, it's almost in our nature to judge people on their protein source instead of saying, huh, I don't know what I would do in that situation. Might I eat a snow leopard? You know, I don't know. No, I think the opposite is that it's the trickle down effect. I may not eat a snow leopard, but I'm going to eat a markle. Yes. And so the prey base goes down. And then prey base then goes don't down. Have don't have any predators. Plus fur trade plus illegal fur trade plus you know that kind of yeah stuff. so they so they just exploit the population right instead of saying now we know better because if you if you told me if you told me that i could legally produce something it would take me a few years but i could legally produce something that was going to be worth i don't know make up some crazy amount of money all i had to do was take care of it for 20 years i'm i'm probably going to say okay let me do that. Mm -hmm. But if you tell me that, well, you, you need to, you, you are obligated to take care of it for 20 years, but it's worthless. But it's worthless. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, you can't draw the value from it. That's the real, to go back to your um, Americans haven't been, Americans as a populace haven't been hungry in a long time. That's the real one, right? Like we take care, we have a lot of folks in this country who take care of animals and it's financially negative for them. Right. Like I have a French bulldog. Dogs. I am fully aware of that scenario. <laughs> right. Right. But also up into the level of the, like we as hunters spend a boatload of money mm -hmm. to try and put meat in our freezers. Right. And no one, no one can do that cheaper than beef at the grocery oh, store. Oh, 100%. It, it cannot yeah. Like, we're not, and that's, that's the, we live in a world of luxury right. where we can serve animals because we like animals and we like to interact with animals. Right. That's the difference between us and the bulk of the people in a lot of other countries is you can't go into their village and be like, man, no, really, look how pretty those markor are. Let's stop eating. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll see you later. That, that it doesn't. It, it's completely and utterly illogical. The same thing that we do with elephants. You yeah. go into Botswana, yeah. where this majestic elephant has just trampled your house and all of your crops and your entire livelihood, and they're like, no, really, we shouldn't do right. anything. You and, should just suck that up. And right and. Again, I don't, I loved that article when I read it and grabbed it and put it on the list. And then I just sat there and thought, if the Marcora wasn't a goat, there's a potential, this exact same scenario with the same data could have been written as a hugely negative, rich Americans killing this animal in the stands. Yeah. The exact same data, they could have wrote it that way, but it was a goat and a, saving a snow leopard, so they like it. And that's that's our conservation dilemma worldwide right there. Mm -hmm. But we'll take the win where we can get it. Oh, yeah. I agree, and I don't – I feel like I, I have 
I'm sweating because I don't want to be negative about this article because it's such a cool <laughs> article and it's so right, but it also gets under my skin. You make that a, yeah. you make that a, you know, you make the thing that the rich Americans are hunting cuddly and it's saving a goat. And this is a horrible thing that's happening yeah. in over there. Right. Yeah. And that's the part that, that irks me. Good stuff. One more article. Yeah. Tennessee court ruling reduces game warden powers. All right, fuck up. I'm, I'm coming on this one. Okay. So the the article uh, in general is that they're in Tennessee that game wardens are allowed on private property to assess whether or not people are violating wildlife laws and private landowners are don't like that. And what was the outcome of the article, Cody? <laughs> oh, there was. A, did it actually have a final outcome oh, yeah. with the decision? I thought it was. Oh, oh yeah. Go ahead, Jen. The, the, yeah, yeah. The landowners won. They won. won. Landowners won. They won. The judge pared back the power of the most powerful law enforcement agent in most states because they can enter private property without a warrant at any time. Correct. Anytime they want. Yeah. I'm from Texas. I am fully aware of the power of a game warden. Cody, are you for or against this move by the Tennessee judge? 100% for. I, 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 it, it, it makes, it's one of the least, it's one of the most illogical things in the world to me that a law enforcement officer for the, and this is like a lot of, like I'm, I'm really choosing my words because I think I'm going to sound counter conservation for a second, but it's not is I, I, they, they shouldn't be able to just walk onto someone's property when in any other instance, a law enforcement officer can't, right? Like if a law enforcement officer thought that you were over there, you know, doing something else, criminal, not based on wildlife, they can't. They can't just walk on unless, you know, you, can get, you can get into some, some. So you're not in favor of that person being able to do that? No, I'm not in favor of that. And I, I realize that... Uh, well, you just contradicted me asking you whether you're in favor of this or not. No, I said I, I'm i in favor of the Tennessee ruling. He's not in favor oh. of someone being able to walk up onto your property and accuse you of something with no basis whatsoever. I'm well, also accusing you. Completely... not accusing you. They think there's something, you know, happening. And they go in, they check, and they say, well, it looks like something's happening, and we need to gather evidence. So why don't they do, why don't they walk up to you? Like if, so can I tell the local law enforcement in, in small town, Mississippi, that you're gr growing pot, cocoa plants in your garage. I, I didn't, I was going to go with pot and then I didn't know what the Mississippi rules were. So I went with cocaine. You're growing cocaine in your garage <laughs> and he can just kick the garage door in. Right. No, we can't. We have a constitution. And I know that some dumbass is going to be like, oh, Cody's a poacher. I'm not. 
I'm 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 as I'm as much against poaching and elite the illegal take of animals as I am against law enforcement's ability to violate my Fourth Amendment. And they were given the ability to violate the Fourth Amendment right then and there. And and they still have it. I have a I have a I have a our game warden, our guy is a door knocking asker, right? The only place he's going is up your driveway if he has an issue. Um, and, you know, and we'll leave when told there's a ton of game wardens out there that respect privacy and don't overtake this. Um, but it's absolutely crazy to me that that doctrine existed. Mm-hmm. While at the same time, I want game wardens to completely protect our wildlife um, and continue to do their job. But it's crazy to me that that doctrine existed. Jen? Yeah, it's not crazy to me that it existed um, because I grew up in Texas. I grew up, I don't even remember how young I was. Like, I've always known that the game warden is the most powerful guy because he can, because he can come onto your property without permission at any time. No probable cause, no nothing. And there's not Zippo you can do about it. And um, I personally am not okay with that. Um, because, because, uh, and I, I don't understand for me, conservation doesn't enter into it. Right. Um, because it's a private property issue for me. Um, I mean, conservation's interesting. Do I own the land? Do I own the land or do I not? Yeah. Because if I'm, yeah, you own, what's that? Yeah. You're saying I own it, right? Because if I'm farming it, okay, and and I plant something where uh, nothing, I can't even think of something to plant that nothing wants to eat. But okay, um, and you 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 think I'm planting that to bait, right? Because people sometimes would do that, right? They plant corn to to bait deer. They plant uh, whatever it is that doves would eat so that they could shoot doves. But you have to come through. Because in Texas, this happens a lot. You got to come through this guy's land. There's six locks on the on the chain on the gate because six different property owners come through that easement, right? And then you got to go through three other gates that are locked to get to my land to know that. How did you know that? And in this article, listeners, you guys should go read the article. These cases are super interesting. This guy. Not only did he cross an easement to get on to one of the defendant's um, pieces of property. And these were like, these weren't small. They were like 90 acres and 70 acres or something. He, he didn't see anything, but he was sure something was going on. He left cameras on their property. Wh- I'm yeah. sorry. What? It's crazy. <laughs> so, it's crazy and, so now, and it's even crazier. That's warrantless surveillance of private property. Are are you kidding me right now? But now look, now I could layer in details on this story. And again, remember what I said earlier? How people don't realize they just abandon all their principles. I could layer in uh, details of this story. I'd make them up, but I could layer them in there. And even Rand Paul would support that law enforcement officer's activities because you layer in stuff about animals and people lose their ever loving minds. 
right? And all of a sudden, everyone abandons their support for the Fourth Amendment in the United States, right? But what it boiled down to and what that judge ruled on appropriately was, yeah, it don't really matter. The Constitution wins, right? Which it should every time. There's no exceptions to that rule. And I know that, I mean, I think it's possible that you could say that our conservation efforts over the last 80 years in the United States would have been less successful if this doctrine didn't exist. More poachers probably got caught because game wardens had this all access pass, but that still doesn't give justification. I'm not even willing to cede that argument. Okay. Like I'm not even willing to cede that argument to you that all that happened um, or that like uh, having all this in place, allowing these law enforcement officers to, and, and I, they're good individuals, right? I'm, I'm not slandering them at all. They're, they're good individuals. They are doing the job that we have hired them to do, okay? But the policy itself or the premise that um, providing any individual the ability to enter anyone's private property at any time with no justifiable reason in order to observe or inspect whatever it is they're doing in their, in their private property, I don't see how that um, you can credit that with conserving any native species in this country. I, I think that's a straw man argument. I don't, I don't, I don't think it would be successful. Um, so I'm not willing to cede it to you. How do you like that? <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm, I'm not making the claim. I'm saying I couldn't debate it. I mean, I, I think if 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 there was no Fourth Amendment. Law officer, law enforcement officers' jobs would be easier. I mean, that's a that I I think that's real, but that doesn't mean there shouldn't be a damn Fourth Amendment, and it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be respected. Right. If there was no Fourth Amendment, we would not be safe in our homes. Right. And there's kind of an argument to be made that a a a, a game warden could just end so- up in your damn bedroom. You know, and, well, no, and not getting in no, trouble. Well, no, they can't, right? Because in now, in the particular law in Tennessee that these guys were looking at, uh, the the home was um, yeah, ex- accepted. I exaggerated. For- I know, but the home was exempted, right? right? Um, so, so they couldn't really come in your bedroom, right? I mean, I don't know if you live in your barn or not, but they couldn't really come in your bedroom. But what is what's interesting to me and that the eye that I read it with has to do actually not just with the state law. And they brought it in a little bit with the one defendant because he was then accused of violating federal law because the game warden put up his little cameras and found some stuff and said, oh, oh my gosh, well, I can't get him here, but I got a buddy over there that's a fed. He brought in the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Right. And I don't know if y'all are aware of this, but in the United States, you know, you are actually, there is, there is one law that, I, that I'm aware of and pertains to our audience here, where as an American, you are guilty and you must then prove your innocence. Anybody want to guess what it is? No. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, the Endangered Species Act. So if a, if a U.S. Fish and Wildlife officer comes in your home 
and they're there for, I don't know, because you're polite and you support law enforcement and they came to your door and said, may we come in? And you said, okay. And they came in and you happen to have, um, I don't know, I'm going to make this up, um, a carving out of black coral that your grandfather picked up when um, he was traveling in the Caribbean as a merchant marine. Okay. Um, and they look at you and say, boy, is that black coral? And you say, it is. Thank you for noticing. Yeah, my granddad bought that and you regale him with this great story of your family heritage. And they say, wow, that's 100% illegal for you to have. Huh? Right now, I'm going to charge you because you're not supposed to have that. Can you prove that you got it from your grandfather? Can you prove where he bought it and when? Can you? I've never thought of this before. We, I'm going to have to do a whole podcast episode on this subject because she's right. That is the only you, – you, you then – you have to prove a negative. You to... have to prove you did not commit a crime. Gentlemen, it is nearly impossible to prove a negative in a, in a court of law, any court of law, which is why America says you're innocent until proven guilty, right? Um, so you're screwed if that happens. Pretty. Huh. And so, I, uh, yeah. Hmm. I'm just saying. We'll have to have Jen back. We love Jen. That's why this is her second podcast, even though this is the first time people are hearing from Jen. Well, I'm just saying, be very careful who you let into your home. <laughs> Robbie, you haven't given an opinion on this Tennessee thing. Um, before you guys started talking, I was, I hadn't really thought about it as much as I should have. Um, Maybe my mind was occupied in other things. Um, like elephants? <laughs> and, yeah. Um, but I would have said that I could see the reasoning for why a game warden could do and have the powers they had. And maybe my emotions in that regard, maybe not emotions isn't the right word, my thought pattern in that regard was because, to your point, Jen or Cody may have said it, but was because it's wildlife, because it's wildlife related, that I was okay with it. But that was prior to you guys talking back and forth. Also, um, if, if someone's, if, this is not, don't take this in any way as being personally directed at you. But if, <laughs> if someone said to me, I can see giving a wildlife law enforcement officer that power because it's wildlife. I would say, but you don't feel that way about the child sex trafficking law enforcement agency. Right. They, can't. they can't. They can't. They can't. They can't just walk into your house. They have to follow the rules. Mm -hmm. Even if, even if they look at your house and they're like, man, I really bet that guy's running a child sex trafficking ring in his house. You know what they got to do? They got to go to a judge and they got to convince his ass before they can come in and check it out. But not for raccoons, but not for white tailed deer. And that's. And well, I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't know that. Like I honestly have, because again, I'm going to use the foreign card for a second here in that I had no idea. 
I literally had no idea. When you were talking, when I read this article, I was like, huh, I never knew that wardens could come onto anyone's property whenever they want to. They don't even have to tell you. They don't even have to tell you. This guy snuck in and put cameras cameras on the guy's property. Cameras. And then also observed. Observed the family interacting. I mean, I was like, it's not like he observed, like he was surveilling from the road or, you know, they had a, a, a wiretap permit or whatever. No, dude just said, he could have just said, I don't like them. I'm going to get them. He could do that. No one stopped mm. him. I hear you. And, and, and I was actually that. legally empowered to do it. Right. That's the scary thing. Yeah. I mean, any, any, any law enforcement officer can do that, but they're going to jail. But isn't that a, a symptom of being, you know, a bad apple in that industry? Like you said, Cody, most of them are going to are going oh, 100%, 100%, to hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent is a bad apple. I'm not. I'm casting zero shade on any law enforcement officer except this one jackass in Tennessee. That's the only one I'm talking about. But here's the thing. And the other thing I'm talking about is the open fields doctrine, because that is like it's literally. It, 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 it's a total and complete violation of the Fourth Amendment, and we were okay with it for raccoons, but not for the homicide detective. Right. Not for the murder guy, but, but we are for animals. And I'm not, in, in, I'm not downplaying the value of the job they do. And I, I mean, if it wasn't for game wardens, we wouldn't have this podcast. There wouldn't be honey. There wouldn't. Someone would have found a way to abuse it to the point that we lost. Of course. It, if there wasn't. And, and I'm not throwing shade on them at all, but the open and there may be some of them that are pissed off because they, they, they see the value in the open. They they see a value in the open fields doctrine, but to me, it's absolutely ludicrous that it existed, and it would honestly be a more valid argument to me if someone said it's more valid to me to argue that every cop should be able to do it than just game right, words, right, like. I, that's still a completely bunk argument. And, you know, I literally would go to arms to protect the fourth amendment, but if that makes more mm-hmm. sense, then you can't do it to protect humans, but rabbits, you can trust, you, 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 you can violate the fourth amendment all you want for but rabbits. Fellas, look, it doesn't make but sense. look, fellas, isn't this more of a, um, another demonstration of kind of the marginalization of the other, Right. So if, if we said if we said that all law enforcement officers would be able to enter your private property at any time with no no like no cause necessary. Right. No warrant. Nothing. They could just come like give them the same power game warning. People's heads would explode. They'd freak out. We'd have like, you know, real protests. Right. This this wouldn't stand. It wouldn't stand. But if we say, oh, but they're looking for those. They're going to regulate hunters that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess it's okay. They're killing stuff, right? So that's all right, huh? Isn't it? Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird, uh, it's weird. dichotomy. It's weird. I'm just I'm not even you. sure that you dichotomy correctly. When, no, no, it, it's certainly enlightening, man. I, I've, I had no, I, again, I came at completely left field. Had no idea, no idea about, honestly. Don't shoot me here and, and the audience don't shoot me. I don't even know what the Fourth Amendment stands for or says. Ir- illegal, right to illegal search and seizure. And right to privacy, yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Now I know. 
Um, I will say this. What I have loved the most about this podcast is that Jen interrupts Cody. <laughs> I have to get wound up before I interrupt, and I try hard not to. But Jen is a talker like Cody, and I love it. Um, and has opinions and is a non-hunter, which is the recipe for someone that we love to engage. Um, and we are certainly going to engage you more and more. We just got to figure out how to get you like your Wi-Fi better so that you can actually see us <laughs> I and, uh, told you, the and interact with us. The was out there last month. <laughs> oh, that's right. Cody, here's the thing, right? She lives in such rural Florida that she saw the what the experience truck. What is it? The, we saw the Spectrum van or the whatever. Spectrum truck. They saw the Spectrum van. They were like, "Holy smokes!" It was like Luau in rural Florida because they're gonna get some real internet. <laughs> nice. It's totally That's true. That's exciting. It's totally true. Okay, but there's one more thing. If people, if they, if you don't read that Tennessee article, just know this: the two guys that won in the case, um, they asked for restitution from the state. One dollar. That's it. They didn't do. They didn't like appeal this or file this lawsuit to get money or anything. One dollar, because they just thought it was like this was this was not right. I thought that was like I just thought that was great. It was buried like towards the end of the deal. That was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy that it existed. It, it's crazy that it that it that it. It's crazy that, like you said, if this had existed. For regular cops protecting humans, we would have blown up about a year. You know, I mean, like the freaking Revolutionary War, right? I mean, it would have never died the the battle, and it would have it would have gone to guns. People would have it would have gone to guns. Mm -hmm. And but for animals, we were like, yeah, yeah, okay, you know, <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, Jen, you've been amazing. Oh. Yeah, uh, we didn't even get to any text messages. I know that we had a bunch of text messages come in, right? Yeah, we did. We had a whole bunch, and we'll save them for next week. Because right now, Jim, Robbie's head is exploding <laughs> because he really likes to stop at an hour, and we're at an hour 14. He also knows this is great discussion the last 14 minutes, so he doesn't want to stop it. But he's about to blow up because we're past an hour. Well, you guys are awesome. I loved it. I thought that you, I was like, man, Cody did his research because he picked two articles that uh, I could easily pontificate on. It was wonderful. Um, and I always welcome the opportunity to talk about stuff like this with guys who are really well informed on the issues. So thank you so much for having me um, on your podcast. No, thank you, Jen. Super. Thank you for joining us. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.